So we hope you listened to our last episode about transitioning to SMR. This is part two of our SMR episode. Uh, We hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Internet Work. Today's episode is entitled Transitions and is all about becoming a senior resident. So today we have the entire executive board and we're recording over Zoom. Um, and we're going to talk about some of the questions that you guys had on Twitter about transitioning to becoming an SMR or a senior resident in internal medicine. All right, I will direct the next question at Allison as the most senior of us. So at Jamie <laughs> Shell asks, I'm afraid of seeing a condition that I've never seen or heard of overnight. How do I treat the patient safely? That is a great question. And you have all the answers. <laughs> it still happens to me because we are not encyclopedias. And apparently what I learn every day is that you have not seen everything. And even if you think you have seen everything, things present in nope. different ways than you expect. Um, so what I would say is go back to basics. So what is the chief complaint? What is the main metabolic problem that you're noticing or hemodynamic or medical problem that you're noticing and start there. If you really don't know, you need help, ask for help. Um, That is probably one of the most important things that I learned as a senior and one of the most important things I still continue to know, to to realize as, as I'm getting more senior because, you know, one, people can obviously really help you and give advice and two, they also can provide you teaching points and may have some experience with what you're dealing with. And they might say, oh yeah, I've seen this before and this is what I did and I worked. Yeah, I, we've been talking about this a lot as we've sort of reflected on our three years in residency and what we've learned and how we've changed. And I think the thing that stood out to me was when a good friend pointed out um, that she doesn't feel like we know that much more, which I mean, I think we all, we've learned a lot, but that the biggest sort of relief was in the transition realizing like as a, as a JMR, I think you always feel this pressure to be able to in the morning hand over this neat like HPI, past medical history, meds, diagnosis plan sort of packaged in a bow and look, here you go, I solved it all, here's how it's gonna go. Um, and realizing with time, and as an SMR, I think especially early on, you feel the need to do the same thing, and gradually realizing with time that that's not always going to be possible. Um, medicine is as much an art as it is a science, if not more, and things don't fall neatly into alignment to make the diagnosis or the plan immediately obvious. Or maybe you know what to do, but it didn't go the way you thought it would. And so recognizing that um, uncertainty is okay and acknowledging, and that's why we have a differential diagnosis before we get to a diagnosis is because there are multiple possibilities. And sometimes you catch it early enough on, or it's just not clear enough that you know the exact answer. And so I think recognizing, um, that sometimes it's a matter of, Oh, I simply haven't seen this. And sometimes it's a matter of, Oh, it's just not quite clear enough yet to anyone. So one last pearl I have to add to this topic is when you become SMR, you think, you know, it's, you're the end of the line and everything is the weight of the world is on your shoulders. But of course, like, that's not how it is. You have a full team, you have your staff, you have all these other people in the hospital there to help you. 
Um, so your first line of contact should always be, you know, your junior attending, your staff. Um, but know that there are, you know, other subspecialties in the hospital there, you know, day and night that you can call. Um, so any surgical issue as an internist, I'm terrified of anything surgical that might be wrong with my patient. Um, it's always appropriate to call, uh, call your colleagues um, with questions about that. And I would say the opposite is true, too, um, that as an internist, you and as a senior, you actually are one of the physicians who probably has some of the more general knowledge base. Um, and so when other services call you and you're like, mm. oh, I don't know why they don't know how to manage this. Like, it's just like sinus tachycardia. Like, why are they calling <laughs> me? Um, yeah. They are feeling the same way that you might yeah. be feeling mm -hmm. when you see something that you don't routinely manage. An acute abdomen. Yeah, yeah. like an acute yeah. abdomen where you're like, this is not my scope. Mm -hmm. I don't do this and I'm going to consult the right service. So I would say the opposite is also true that you are, you know, there will be things that you don't know. And that's, um, that's a good thing. Take it as a learning opportunity. Obviously, like we said, manage them safely, but take it as a learning opportunity to make sure you follow up with those patients. Um, but there will also be a lot of things that you do know um, that you can help other services and other people with. And even if it's passing advice, and you're not doing a formal consult, you know, you are regarded mm -hmm. as one of the more general knowledge-based physicians who really can help with a wide variety of, of problems uh, in the mm -hmm. for patients. I remember Allison warning us that PGY2 was like her hardest year and I would probably say it was, I, I, to me PGY1 was my hardest year, but PGY2 was very difficult as well. Um, so do you guys have, I guess we can try again, one pearl of wellness tips, how to get through PGY2 while staying sane? Oh, um, know when to turn work off. Um, as an SMR, especially on CTU, um, especially now that we are moving towards EMRs that make it even easier to spy on things and manage things from home, make sure you do your very best to create boundaries between work and life outside work. And to add to that, I would say, you know, in PGY2, I was just so stressed about being a PGY2 that it's easy to get caught up in yourself, mm -hmm. but you're now in this leadership position within a team where you have, you're in the unique position where you can also check in on your junior residents and your clerks um, to make sure you, that they're coping okay with the transition as well. I think with wellness, you know, it's the same thing where everyone's like, okay, well, this is how the system works and this is wellness. You exercise, you eat well, you sleep nine hours a night, and that is like the protocol for wellness. And the reality is we can't do that. Um, and it shouldn't be, I mean, truthfully, I don't think that it should be on residents to really, you know, it is important, obviously, for you to pursue things that you love and to do the things that make you happy. But with respect to, you know, your work environment and what you are and are not able to do and control, you know, I think there really needs to be a higher push at the program level to say that this is how we're incorporating wellness rather than saying, you know, it's on us and it's my responsibility to be well, because when you're not well, it is very hard for that to become an extra responsibility on your plate. Mm -hmm.
I have a question for you guys. Yeah. Um, can you each tell me one pearl about what is the best? So I had a really hard time choosing um, a specialty. And so every senior that I would talk to, I would always try to get this one pearl. So what is one pearl, um, best advice for choosing a specialty? Allison. Ooh, this is a hard one because I feel like I didn't really choose a specialty. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things that someone pointed out to me very early was, do you want a specialty that is a more generalized specialty? So thinking about things like GIM, geriatrics, even endocrine, um, where you're working with a whole bunch of organs in the whole person, or are you focused more on a specific organ system? So cardiology, GI, nephro all tend to be more specific organ systems. And that ruled out a lot of things for me because I knew that I always wanted to be a generalist. I didn't want to be a physician who had a specific expertise in one thing, um, but rather uh, I wanted to sort of have a little bit of knowledge about everything, which is probably how I ended up in, in GIM. Um, so I think that's really where I started. And then as I narrowed down into these were the things that are, you know, a more generalist approach. So I thought about ICU, I thought about um, GIM, and I really flip-flopped between the two for a little bit. And it ended up 50 years from now. Okay, hopefully not 50 years from now. I don't, I don't, <laughs> Hopefully I won't still be then. working. Hopefully I'll still be retired. <laughs> Hopefully I'll be retired by then. But like one, you know, 30 years from now, what do I want the career, my career to look like? And the answer was, I don't think it's the ICU setting. And so I ended up defaulting or picking GIM uh, instead. And I've been very happy with that decision. I would say my advice is to try and step back and as bizarre as it sounds, take the specialty out of it. So rather sitting there and going, do I want to be a hematologist for the rest of my life? Creating in your mind, I don't like to write pro-con lists, but that sort of format or that sort of idea in your mind of what things do I absolutely want in my career? What things can I not stand? Um, and then going back and looking at your experiences and seeing where they fit and figuring out, did I actually enjoy this rotation or was it just a really great rotation and I loved it for that month, but that's enough. And I found being very honest with myself about what I enjoy and I don't enjoy, especially, was really helpful. I hadn't heard that pearl before. That's yeah, that's song. a good pearl. And yeah. I think makes a lot of, I think I did think that way too. And I didn't, like, I didn't really recognize that I was thinking that way. Mm -hmm. I think the best piece of advice, it, it sounds very basic, but the best piece of advice that I always think back to was like, do you like the bread and butter of that specialty? Mm -hmm. um, because as a PGY1, I flip-flopped through a lot of different specialties and I was like, oh, you know what? I really love like fungemia, but do you love diabetic foot infection? Or like, if you really love like thyroid storm, do you love diabetes? You have to love the so bread and butter because like that's diabetes. what you're going to be doing. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm just giving examples. Um, Is that I cannot what you're saying? endorse anyone some... <laughs> <laughs> presentation but I mean I give me a pneumonia CHF someone's having a tough time at home like I can find something interesting about any of those so that's sort of how I came to GIM Okay, so we're going to end with this final question um, for 
all of us, which is what are you most excited for in this transition? I'm really looking forward to having a longitudinal clinic because I think uh, cool. in residency, there's been very seldom times where I've ever been able uh, from an ambulatory setting to see um, the same patient over and over again. And I think it'll be interesting to have that sort of ownership and familiarity with patients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, you guys already made fun of me for this, but I am excited for the transition and simultaneously more sad than I thought I would be to be leaving where we were. I think the last three years were so the most challenging I've ever been through, but I'm so thankful for the people and the things I took out of it. And so having friends leave for their fellowships is so exciting because they finally get to do what they love, but obviously it's hard to see them um, go from where I see them every single day to having to kind of fly out or drive out to visit them. But in terms of what I'm excited about for the transition, I think maybe it's feeling, so internal medicine always Felt like a family but you also go into it recognizing that people will later kind of split off and everyone has their specific interests and subspecialty that they want to go into so feeling like I'm now getting into this space of like the the critical care family for me um, is really cool because you know that you're in this space where everyone is focused on I mean everyone obviously has their interests and things within it but knowing that we're kind of all united by, by this specialty and feeling like internal medicine can be like a very big, is a very big program and a big specialty. So being in a group that's sort of smaller and having maybe a tighter knit um, community to get to be a part of and to feel like they're, I mean, they're, they're invested in turning me into their future colleague. I feel like now as a fellow, it's, about your learning, but also about your career and your future in sort of a more tangible way than we felt in the last three years. And so feeling like you have people mentoring you towards your eventual sort of life as you move on is really, really exciting. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting because there were definitely moments in residency where I was like, wow, this is really never going to end. Like five years of my <laughs> life is just taken and I'll never get them back. Um, and so now that I'm approaching it, it's really surreal. And still, I think me and my co-fellows are like, well, what do we do July 1st? And the answer is we become staff, we guess. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I'm looking forward to the flexibility that that allows where the rotations and the clinics and the type of medicine that I do moving forward um, is really in line with how I want to practice medicine within my career. And then also recognizing, you know, how much I benefited from mentorship as a resident or as a med student, being able to hopefully reciprocate that as I become more senior and help other medical students um, or residents really find their path is something that I'm really looking forward to. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Internet Work. If you have any questions at all about residency, please tweet at us or follow us on Twitter. We're happy to answer any questions that you might have, or you can also email us at theinternetwork at gmail.com. This episode was recorded by Allison Lai, Sar Morali, and Leah Karianopoulos. This episode was produced by Allison Lai. The Internet Work series is created by Allison Lai and developed by Zara Morali and Leah Karianopoulos. Theme song by Lachman Vizantha Mohan. 
If you like this episode, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We don't have any new infographic for this episode, but you can find all of our old infographics and episodes on our website at www.theinternetwork.com. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you again soon.